Welcome to All Tomorrow. I'm Mooney Jensen. And I'm Peter Schechter. Let's talk about a place that's close to my heart, Israel. As that country faces multiple internal and regional challenges, we're going to break down the current political landscape. And to help us understand and to engage in a little forecasting, we're going to soon be joined by Gil Tamari, one of Israel's top reporters and analysts. Gil was a guest in Altamar last year, right before the Israeli election, the previous Israeli election, which essentially ended in a toss-up between PM Netanyahu and Benny Gantz. Israelis are headed to the polls once again on March 2nd, and we thought Gil could regale us again with his predictions about what has become a very unpredictable electoral environment in this important Middle Eastern nation. But Muni, I don't think we should only focus on the upcoming election. You know, I think there's so much to cover. We have to cover Netanyahu. We have to cover his corruption scandals. And we need to talk a little about his main rival, Benny Gantz. But there are so many multiple layers of the Israel conversation that sort of, you know, responsibly we need to tackle, namely the U.S. administration's latest peace plan amidst the everyday more complicated Middle East. But, you know, there's Iran and then there's Syria. You know, God knows how many things there are to talk about. That's right. And much has changed, but also much remain the same in what you, Peter, call Israel as a rough-ass neighborhood. And it is. Syrians are leaving, as you say, in near-biblical exodus to Turkey, and they remind the world of the tremendous humanitarian toll of the war. Iran still harbors regional aspirations. Now we're left to wonder what happens next after Soleimani's death. Most of the region's leaders are actually now more concerned with Iran than the Palestinian issue. Yes, Mooney, but the Palestinian issue was rocketed back to the front burner by the launch of Donald Trump's Middle East peace plan that many agree has incredibly little substance, but has just enough bluster to anger Palestine's leaders who were not even part of the conversation. In the region, Saudi Arabia supported it superficially, but it didn't show up. Only Oman, Bahrain, and the UAE were present at the unveiling, which was notable for having zero Palestinians presence. No Egyptians or Jordanians showed up either, even though those are the two countries that have peace treaties with Israel. The West has all sort of registered as hyper-skeptical, and leaders and analysts around the world have basically discarded it as pretty unrealistic. By giving Netanyahu free reign to annex parts of the West Bank, Peter, seen many as an electoral bone that Trump threw to bolster the PM's electoral prospects, this unrealistic announcement pleased Netanyahu to no end. But Bibi's calendar is full. Yes, he faces elections once again in early March, followed two weeks later by his criminal corruption trial happening at the worst possible time, when the government, after elections, will be in the middle of a transition, including swearing in a new parliament, undergoing coalition talks, and really trying to find a political way forward for the gridlocked country. If indicted, Netanyahu would be the first sitting prime minister to be convicted for corruption. It's not clear from the polls that any party has a path to victory right now, But despite all of his efforts to divert attention, this corruption case will be front and center, of course, for the last stretch of the campaign. Netanyahu's under fire, Mooney, but his Likud party remains loyal, 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 even though he may end up in jail. I guess that must sound familiar to our U.S. listeners, Mm -hmm. right? You know, yet with even charges of fraud and one count of bribery, he keeps leading the country and questions arise about the future of this so-called peace process and Netanyahu's ability to lead to implement the peace agreement or to form a government or to stay out of prison. I mean, there are questions arise about everything. This uh, election in Israel really is the skin of an onion that you unpeel and then you get more skin, et cetera. You know, and so 
I, I just want to let's not make the mistake of talking only about Netanyahu because, you know, a little bit like President Trump, he sort of sucks the oxygen. Let's talk about Benny Gantz, the former military chief, opposition leader. He's the head of the Blue and White Party and is now waging his third, third campaign against Bibi and has come out further than anyone else against Israel's prime minister. He's the indisputable leader of the opposition against Bibi, but he's no lefty progressive peace advocate. He talks of partnering with right-wing leader Avigdor Lieberman and with ultranationalist party to form a new coalition government. He's opposed immunity for Netanyahu, rejected invitations to debate, and is confident that he'll win. But will he win enough votes to lead a coalition? That's the key question. It's too soon to say whether Gantz and his party will be able to generate a solid lead on their own or whether their loosely formed group of mostly generals will just eventually fizzle. It's really not clear. And meanwhile, voters in Israel are really sick and tired of going to the polls over and over since December 2018 with no visible results. And then a historic fourth election would be on the horizon if no majority is formed after March 2nd. So we are very happy to be joined by Gil Tamari, a true independent voice for Israel. Gil is the Washington bureau chief for Israel's Reshet News, formerly Channel 10, and has covered Israel for over 20 years as one of the country's top reporters. He's worked for the Israel Broadcasting Authority, Israel Public Radio, and as anchor and chief editor of Good Morning Israel. Welcome, Gil. Thank you for having me again. So before we talk politics, let's talk about the region. Israel is in the middle of a significant number of global hotspots. How can you describe the political landscape in the Middle East right now, especially post-Sulemaini? What is Israel's place in all of this puzzle? Israel is in a pivotal point as of right now, because uh, from one hand, we have Iran still on Israel, on Israel border uh, with Syria, and uh, Israel is... Uh, according to what we see on international news, is almost on a weekly basis, is uh, fighting Iran uh, in Syria. After the, the assassination of uh, Soleimani, it doesn't seem to be that uh, Iran has less motivation uh, to attack uh, Israel. And uh, it seems to be that the uh, U.S. position in the region are... Uh, are, uh, this, are, are less and less uh, comparing to the situation uh, it used to be. Uh, America has no interest uh, to really be involved in the, in the region. We see it just uh, uh, this week with the talks with the Taliban. And, uh, and this will stay uh, even after Israeli election as is the number one issue that uh, any Israeli prime minister will have to deal with. I think that's a it's a great segue to one of my questions. I know that that a lot of people say that this peace plan of the Trump administration was a bone thrown to Bibi, and we'll we'll get to that in a second. But it was something else too. It was because Iran was the central part of the Middle East story. Now the Palestinians had somehow disappeared into the background, and what this peace plan has done has also brought the Palestinian issue back into the foreground, and so. What are your thoughts about this agreement? I guess that's the first question. And the second question is, is it only cosmetic or is there really substance there? It was a real news for 48 hours, maybe. Uh, the Palestinian issue is not an issue that uh, the Israeli public is interested of. Uh, the Israelis see Iran, Iran, and Iran. Netanyahu uh, very shrewdly uh, used it uh, as a 
as a spin in his election, coming election and his coming uh, campaign. And uh, actually what he has done, he, he was uh, uh, using uh, uh, the fact and the willingness of uh, uh, President Trump to uh, give him any present he would like to, to have. And uh, it, Netanyahu encouraged Trump uh, to uh, put this uh, offer on the table, a plan that was uh, delayed for a very long time. Uh, and now, because it was the right timing for Bibi to introduce it, it was introduced. But if you will ask the Israeli public if they think uh, that uh, the Palestinian issue is now an important issue in their life or uh, in the coming election, the answer will be definitely not. Even though there's an issue of annexation of Palestinian territories. Bibi has some internal polls that are showing that, okay, if you want to annex uh, some territory, okay, but this is talk only for the voters of, of the uh, who are right of the Likud party. These are the Yamina uh, voters and the, uh, some uh, ultra-religious uh, uh, voters, but the uh, Likud voters care more about their quality of life, about uh, how expensive it is to have an apartment in Israel uh, uh, today, uh, why it's not affordable. This is not a, a game changer as of right now. The, the only game changer after three cycles of election is which party will be able to bring more voters physically bring voters to the polls to vote. Where will be the enthusiasm? That's the main question, because whomever is going to support Bibi, we know is going to support Bibi. Whomever is going to support Gantz will continue to support uh, Gantz no matter what. The only question is who will energize is based better. We saw that last time. The Likud and Bibi had a problem to energize his voter base. This time Bibi is doing everything he can to bring any Likud voter or any right-wing voter to the poll. So I know Mooney is dying to jump right into the politics, but I still have one more regional question, which is the question of with the way Iran has really transformed the Middle East because... Now there is this tacit friendship or alliance between Saudi Arabia and Israel, and and the AU, and the right, and the and all of all of the and all of the Gulf states, and 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 also with Egypt. So talk a little bit about that and how how that has changed the region. Netanyahu, very smartly, was able to create and to form a coalition with the uh, other Muslim states that uh, see Iran as a threat uh, for them and to join with them forces. And uh, you see unprecedented uh, alliance between Israel and those uh, uh, countries. And that's the reason that even when they eventually, when the Arab League uh, uh, didn't accept the uh, Trump uh, deal and they rejected it, it was uh, not a huge rejection. They rejected it in a very subtle uh, way. Uh, and look at the Trump deal. The Trump deal accept the Israeli uh, narrative of the conflict. It's the dream of any 
uh, Israeli leader ever. Uh, and uh, it's uh, something that is the nightmare of every Palestinian aspiration to have uh, a statehood on the same territory that uh, is in the midst of this conflict. So, into the politics. Okay. It's a perfect storm. There's a peace agreement on the table. There are the corruption charges against Netanyahu and elections. You seem to think that there is a, a well-timed uh, political maneuver between the peace agreement and the election and maybe dampening the pain of the corruption allegations and corruption trials. The peace deal, the Trump deal, waited on the shelf for months and he could stay there almost forever. For Netanyahu, it was important to change the conversation. And that was the real motivation for the American administration to present this deal. And the most smartest thing that uh, uh, Netanyahu was able to do was to tie guns into the deal. Because r right now, the two of them are obliged to go with the Trump deal. And what was the reaction of that is that uh, if, in the, if in round two of the election, like three months ago, the Kaholavan people thought about the possibility to have a minority government, which means uh, that they are not going to have a majority in the Knesset, uh, but uh, uh, the Arab party will support their government from the outside or at least will uh, abstain uh, when it's coming to a confident uh, vote. So now uh, Gantz is saying, I'm not going to use their support even from the outside. So Bibi was able to corner uh, Gantz into a position that uh, Gantz doesn't have the numbers. The numbers uh, do not uh, add up uh, for uh, for Gantz, and that's a major major issue. Even though we must say that uh, Gantz is improving as a as a politician. If in in round one he was uh, very naive, very rookie, he was better in uh, round two, and now in round three he can is is uh, playing like a pro. And uh, he can even say things that have nothing to do with reality. Like uh, yes, he will have the numbers, he will have the support. People will uh, will uh, join him. I don't know how he's doing the arithmetics, but uh, if we all, if we believe the polls and to the uh, last uh, two previous uh, campaigns, uh, the number do not add up uh, for uh, for guns. So the prime minister is at the same time facing what is it? Two fraud charges, one bribery, um, so three indictments. Yeah. It can't be good for him in, in an electoral calendar, but even if he wins, is there a chance that he could go to jail? And if not, is there a chance that he could really govern with all of these charges on his back? The only difference between round two of the election and this round that now Netanyahu lost the immunity battle. He cannot have immunity anymore. Furthermore, this week it was announced that the two weeks after the election, his trial will actually start. So we have a prime minister that uh, in the morning will uh, go to court to defend himself, and in the afternoon 
will deal with the issues, with the important uh, issues that uh, any Israeli prime minister have, uh, to, uh, has to deal with on a daily basis. And, but as of right now, if Netanyahu is able to secure 61 uh, members of the Knesset that they will support him, that will be, th- th- that, that will be the, the reality on the ground. And you think he can win? I don't know if he can win. I really, ca- I really cannot predict. I, I know that the numbers will be the same numbers. Like the BB block will have between 54 to 56 uh, seats and the guns will have between 56 to 58. But you need to take of this number. Now the Arab uh, parties that are not going uh, to support him and he is not going to use their support if they uh, support him. Uh, the, the, the real wild card or the joker here is a Victor Lieberman again. What will he do uh, this time? He's saying that BB uh, is gone, that we are after uh, uh, Bibi, maybe we need to to listen to him, but uh, he showed in the past that he is willing, uh, even after he's saying harsh things on Bibi, uh, to join his uh, government uh, uh, in a heartbeat. What happens to the prime minister if he's actually convicted? If he's convicted, he has to resign. He, he has to go to to jail if he's convicted. But there there is another imaginary scenario. If he has 61 members of the Knesset, he can have a legislation that postponed and freeze the procedure until after he finishes his term. This is also a possibility. If, you, if Netanyahu has 61, he is again BB King. If he doesn't have 61, we don't know what uh, the future will tell. So let's talk about Lieberman. What what he obviously what you you called him the Joker. I call him the wild card. But tell me about his supporters and tell me why they stick with him without this with this lack of clarity that he provides. Because he found the perfect niche. On one hand, he is fighting religious coercion, and the. Uh, and, uh, and, and on, the other, on the other hand, he's offering a right-wing ideology. So this kind of combination uh, created a situation that uh, he will have between seven to eight seats in the, in the Knesset. And actually, he will be the guy that will determine who will be the prime minister of Israel. He could do it in the second round. He didn't do it. On the first round, he didn't do it. Maybe this time we will hear that he's joining either Gans or or Bibi. Right, but last time he he didn't say. He didn't say. And in the round one, he didn't say. And what makes you think that in this time he will? Because he's saying that. Now it's over. Let's see. I don't know if it's over. I, I, I don't know. But Lieberman, Lieberman has also a sense of what is the right time to take the right decision. He's very shrewd when it's coming to, to, to timing in, uh, in politics. Maybe even for him, it will be a too big risk to go to round four. I'm not so sure about it, but, but maybe this is the, uh, the situation. And how 
if Lieberman indeed believes that this is the post Netanyahu period, it means that Lieberman's support will go to Gantz and to the Blue and White Party. So tell us a little bit about what that government might look like. I'm not so sure that eventually uh, Lieberman will be with the Gantz uh, government. And uh, because Gantz, the minute the Netanyahu right-wing block will break, it's easier for Gantz to have as his partners the religious parties than to go with Lieberman. And this is one of the arguments that Lieberman is using to the public that supports him. That is, they are, he's telling them, look, in a heartbeat, Gantz will go with the religious parties and offer them more than what Bibi is giving them. That's the reason that if you really care about secular life in Israel, you need to continue and to support me. But a government of... Lieberman, Gantz, and the labor? Can you have the labor and merits together in the same government with Lieberman? I'm not so sure about it. You can have the labor party in a government together with the religious parties, but with Lieberman, I'm not so, so sure about it. And also in this uh, united uh, left party, of Meretz, Labour, and Gesher, how can Meretz live with, uh, uh, with the religious party under the same roof? The numbers are not there. The only logical scenario is some unity government between Kaholavan and the Likud, because they have no real differences between them, no ideological differences. And also, this kind of government will represent the will of the majority of the Israeli public. That, I think, the only real outcome that uh, will be able to survive as a government for, for a significant period of time in but, Israeli politics. But that government has to be without Netanyahu. Otherwise it's doubtful that Kahol Levan would agree to that. Yes. And so how does that, how does the dissociation of Likud from Bibi happen? If it happens. How would it If there are not 61. Right. If yeah. there's not... Okay, if, if there are no, if there are no, if, if, the, if Bibi isn't able to produce 61 members uh, that supports him, it's a completely different ballgame. I'm listening to your conjectures. It seems like March 2nd is not going to be conclusive. Are the Israelis going to be forced to vote yet again, one more time for the fourth time since 2018? You know, it's happening one day before Super Tuesday here. For us, it's probably Manic Monday and not, <laughs> and not, super, uh, not super Tuesday. But yes, this is the most... A viable scenario as of uh, right now that uh, because the numbers are showing 
again and again the same picture for the third time, and it will show it the fourth time. That's the reason. The only way uh, maybe to break uh, these, these numbers are with the participation uh, percentage of, uh, of the voters. Gil Tamari, thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again. Okay, Peter, you are the Israel expert in this room. And uh, from what I can hear from our other expert, Gil, things are very, very complicated for the next election. So in um, keeping with our disagreements, I'm going to ask you to bet what's going to happen in the next Israeli election. And I'll let you tell me what you think that I'm already guessing so I can say the opposite. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's a great position to take. I'll tell you, maybe, maybe all the politics all over the world, including in the United States, is sloshing over this pessimistic wave over me. But I just feel that Netanyahu knows that really this time his skin is in play and he's doing everything possible. And I just fear that in the end, unfortunately, he will get 61 seats of the, of the Knesset and he will then be able to form a government basically with only the ultra-right wing. So I'm going to be the idealist and believe that the voters in Israel, especially young voters, will have none of this election in the middle of a corruption trial and that people are fed up with corruption and want something new so that he will force the Israeli voters to another election. What are we betting? We're betting a bottle of champagne as usual. You got it. Well, we'll share it with anybody who wants to come by. Monday's the election in Israel. And with that, see you next time on Altamar. Altamar.